Thank you all for being here this morning. I am glad for frost. That means I can now uh, eat squirrels <laughs> and not worry about wolves. Thank you all for being country enough to know what that meant. Appreciate it. My uncle told me don't shoot them before the frost. So I doubt that that one counted because it is going to warm up a little bit, but I'm going to take it anyway. Uh, we finished last week talking about the five solas, the foundational principles of the church, uh, just the idea of, of, of what, we're, what we're doing. And uh, today I'm going to start another mini-series, and a topical one again, uh, which as I said, I'm, I usually don't like to do. But we want to emphasize prayer, especially next Saturday will be a prayer march in Washington, D.C., led by Franklin Graham from 12 to 2. There's also another big event from 9 to 9, uh, focused on prayer. And uh, as a church, God, I mean, Jesus said, uh, my house shall be called a house of prayer. That's what the Bible says. And, and so we talk about prayer a lot, but we don't do it a lot. So we want to emphasize talking about, uh, we want to talk about prayer so that we will do it. And I'm going to take four weeks to do it. And so I want you to be opening your Bible, Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. We're going to base all four weeks on this one verse. And as we get there, um, so many times we always talk about prayer. By the way, this whole, this whole uh, series I'm calling Our Need of God. Uh, our prayer is an expression of our need for God. And today is worship God with confidence. We want to worship God with confidence because I'm going to use a simple outline of prayer that you can apply in a lot of ways and you probably have heard it. It's very common. You've heard it a lot. But it's A-C-T-S, the word acts. It's adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. But, but that became kind of a, a popular thing to say or a, a common thing to say because it is so biblical. And, and today we're going to start at the A, adoration or worship of God. Uh, and, and we'll see that in Second Chronicles 7.14. But we also see it all through Scripture. That, you know, I used to... Growing up, I'd hear people pray, and I kind of was taught to pray, confess your sins coming to God, because how can he hear you if you're a sinner? Well, he can hear anything. It doesn't matter about me. God can hear me if he wants to. Uh, and then secondly, if I worship God first, I see my sin. Sometimes we're blind to our sin because I'm, we compare ourselves to other people or to even ourselves, and yet, yet when we look at God, we see how imperfect we are. I, you remember as a kid, you know, thinking... Like some little trinket or toy was the, like the real thing, maybe. Uh, I've, I've got some things in my head, but uh, none of them seem appropriate to say. But, but you get some toy and you think, man, this is the real deal. And then, you know, like a, a superhero costume or something. You think, wow, that is so cool. I'm, you know, I'm that guy. And then you grow up and realize that was not exactly it. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes uh, I, I think that, that we, we don't realize our sin because we're not looking at the perfect one. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah said, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and lifted up in his train, filling the temple. And the heavens shook, and earth shook, and smoke filled the temple at his holiness and his glory. And Isaiah said, And I said, Woe is me, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. God didn't tell him he was a man of unclean lips. It just when he saw God, he realized his own sin. So we like to start prayer with 
that with worship. And I want you to see that in 2 Chronicles 7.14 because so many times when we come to 2 Chronicles 7.14, we talk about prayer, we quote this verse and the only word we hear in it is pray. <laughs> There's actually four, those four conditions are in this verse and I want to show them to you over the next four weeks. So you've got your Bible open there. Let me just read it so we can hear it all together. And it says, If my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. I want to kind of place you here. This is uh, happening at the dedication of the temple that Solomon built. The biggest, most beautiful, the best one ever was the temple that Solomon built. This thing, if you read the descriptions in the scripture, it is overlaid in gold. And it's got precious jewels. It is unreal. Up uh, on the top of it where no man is ever going to look, there are, are things made out of pure gold that only God can see. It was an expression of trying to glorify God by a visual object and saying this God is worth more than this and this is glorious and at the dedication of the temple Solomon's prayer is unbelievable and this is God's response he says hey thanks that's great you know he told David you can't build a house big enough to hold me anyway but they tried they built this house and in the midst of God's communication with Solomon and, and the people he said to them I'm, when, you're, when you go astray, I'm going to do these things to cause you to remember that you've gone astray. Sometimes difficulties in our life, we ask God, what are you doing? And he says, not me, it's you. Right? We tend to blame God when God says, look at yourself. Sometimes the natural consequences of our sin. And Solomon here in verse 14, I mean, God is telling Solomon in verse 14, if you see all this tragedy coming on the nation, if my people who are called by my name, will pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven uh, and, and I will heal their land uh, and answer their prayer and forgive their sin. And so here's what I want you to carry home with you today. In true worship, we begin to see ourselves as God sees us. Because in the midst of this tragedy, the, you've got to stop and say, wow, this is us. And it is in the worship of God that we see that more clearly because we're looking at that which is perfect. In 1 John 3, it says, Beloved, uh, uh, how great it is that the love that God has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. But the world doesn't know us because it didn't know him. But it says, but the world can't see it. We can't see it with our physical eyes yet. But we know this, when we see him, we will be like him for we will see him as he is. He's talking about at death or when Jesus comes back. We'll see Jesus revealed and God will use that and transfer, transform the rest of us that needs to look like Christ into the very image of Christ. Well, that process has started already. Once you kind of know the Lord, God is starting to make you look more and more like Jesus. And worship is the first thing we ought to be doing because in worship we begin to get a better picture of God. Now the question you might have uh, and I have in my head right now is, why does that make us look more like Christ? Well, because you can't worship God if you don't know what God says about himself and how to worship God. The safest way to worship God is through Scripture. What does God say about himself? Then say what he said about himself back to him. We'll come to that as, as we go through. I'm going to step us through this. And, and, and this is where I get worship in this verse. And it starts with verse 14, the very first of the verse. If my people who are called by my name. 
Just last week, we were talking about Exodus 33, uh, 18, and in there we find out why that verse leads us to worship, uh, in case you didn't get that connection. When Moses asked God to let him see his glory, here's what God said. Um, Behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes, I will put you in a cleft of that rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I take, will take away my hand, and you'll see my back, but my face shall not be seen. But here's what the Lord said before that, sorry. He says, um, when Moses first said, show me your glory, he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will pro- proclaim before you my name. Now, that's not the first time Moses had heard God's name, right? In Exodus 3.15, when God called him at the burning bush, Moses said, they're going to ask me who sent me, and what do I say to them? If I say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they go, yeah, we know those titles, but what's his name? You're so personal with him. Because Moses had to go to a, a possibly a million people and convince them that God had told him that he was to lead them out of Egypt. You ever had somebody come up, tell you, come up to you and tell you what they thought the will of God for your life is? If you're in the pastorate, you get that a lot. Where people come and say, you know what, I think we should. God told me to tell you that, you know, and, and you hear that. And sometimes maybe you ought to listen, but, but, it's, but Moses is going, Lord, that's a big thing. They're going to be wondering. And God said, okay, I'll tell you my name. My name is Yahweh. It means I am who I am. And you know any room you're in is room temperature, right? Anywhere God is, he is. He is the I am. He was I am yesterday, I am today, he will be I am tomorrow. If it's in heaven or hell or on earth, God is the great I am. He didn't begin, he will not end. There's no place where he is not and where his influence is not uh, uh, not more influence, his will is not done. No place except in rebellious men. And so God has a name. And in talking to Moses, he says, when I go by, you'll see my goodness, and I will proclaim to you my name. In other words, this is how we worship God. you got to know who he is. We could come in here and say, oh, he's great, he's wonderful. Man, he, he's, he's got everything you would need. He's generous, he's giving. Who are you talking about? I don't know, I'm just talking. <laughs> you got to know who you're talking about and to. And God says, I'm going to tell you who I am. This is my name. And so in that name, we begin to worship. But notice what it says in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. I am still there. He says, if my people who are called by my name. You see, we take God's name for ourselves. We belong to him. My last name was my father's last name. I took his name, and actually my first name is his first name. Though I don't go by that name, that is my first name. Well, I do now, days of computer, because you can't go by your middle name anymore. You know that? Always confuse me. People go, we don't have you listed. Oh, look under that name. Oh, there you are. Well, you're calling out to the wrong name. God's good. I don't know what you're talking about. We call it to God by his name. He knows who we're talking about, right? And he says, if my people are called by my name, notice the possessiveness of God. We are his. He possesses us. We belong to him. And I will say something else about his name. And you say, well, you know, that just sounds like you're making all that up. All right, let's go to the official, Jesus. 
in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your Thank you. That's how Jesus started the prayer. With saying to God, we recognize you are holy. That's worship. Worship is when we attribute worth to someone or something. And so you, what you worship is what you say is the most important thing in your life. Be it a credit card, a home, a boat, a car, a job, money, a person, whatever it might be. That is what your God is. Maybe it's an experience, and you live to get that experience because that is what you worship. And God says, I don't share my glory, and I don't, he doesn't, he says, I'm a jealous God. I want you to only worship me. God's name is holy. And so when we call by his name, and when we stop, and we look, and I'll show you how to do that again in just a minute, as we stop to say, God, you are holy, and worship him according to his name, all of a sudden, it becomes clearer about who we are and about what's going on around us. In Corinthians, it says we must discern these things spiritually, and only the spiritual can discern them because they are spiritually discerned. Listen, this coming election is not about politics. It's not about parties. It's about the will of God and what God is up to in the world. And we don't know the results, what just the election will be. We don't know the results after the election. But I know who knows because he's in charge of it. And he's going to take care of it. And it may look bad to us because the end can't come without it looking really bad. I mean, we all, we all oh boy, I can't wait till Jesus comes back. Really? It's going to be really bad when he comes back. I mean, just read the Bible. Read Revelation. It is not going to be pretty. No matter what you believe about the end of time, it ain't going to be pretty at any point once it comes. And so we need to be focused in on God, and God is in control. We need to worship him. Secondly, God desires worship. In John chapter 4, verses 21 24, Jesus said, The well with the Samaritan woman, and she is, uh, has a particular place of uh, a, a particular sin in her life, and Jesus lets her know he knows that without telling her he knows that. He just says, Go get your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right. You're living with a guy, but you had five husbands before him. And instead, and she got, and you know what happens when you get embarrassed, you get caught, you start, well, if you're me, you start talking. <laughs> she said, you know what? Our fathers tell us that we ought to worship God over here, and your guys say we ought to worship God over there. What's true? And Jesus said, no, neither place. Those who worship God must worship him in, y'all know it, spirit and right. If we're going to, Worship God, and God does desire worship. He says, and he is seeking people to worship him in that way. That's what he told the woman. Well, and God desires this kind of worship, and he's seeking people to worship him like this. It's not a particular place. It's not a particular time. Listen, we get, we, you got to understand the culture that you and I grew up in, especially if you are from this area, from the area like me, if you're from the south, from the buckle of the Bible belt. You, you just... Sorry, that thing's making noises. Uh, you, you begin to realize, if you look at it clearly, that much of what we do is called culture, not Christianity. Much of what we do is just a cultural thing. I, I always use clothes, and clothes are not really an issue in the church here. Uh, you, listen, if you're online, you want to come visit us, you say, 
I don't have anything to wear. As long as you're wearing something, you can come, okay? That's, that's, that's kind of our deal. And if you don't have something, we got some robes, we'll give you one. Uh, you, but, but, but it doesn't really matter that much. Because I always think back in the New Testament, they met every day. And they probably quit whatever work they were doing, their job, their livelihood, and went to the meeting. They didn't go home, bathe, put on a suit or anything. They just went like they were. This doesn't matter. Meeting on Sunday morning, we do that because the first disciples met then on that first morning's when Jesus rose from the dead. But they met every day. At the beginning, they met every day, right? That's what the book of Acts tells us. And so we meet on Sunday. You know why traditionally? Listen, this 9 o'clock service, y'all online, you don't understand. 9 o'clock is our biggest crowd. Y'all look awesome in here today, by the way, all of you. Just look around. If you, if you don't think you're particularly good looking, the person next to you probably is. So just, just look around. Don't make them suffer too long, though. And it, it's, it's wonderful, this, this assembling of ourselves together. This is a bigger crowd 11 o'clock, not so much, but you know what? This is so cultural that if somebody wants to visit a church, they usually assume they start at 11. We, we could bring the people 11 in here probably and still be kind of safe in distancing and everything. But we don't because we don't want to kill 11 o'clock because our guest, most of our guests may arrive. Now, you may be a guest in here today, and if we don't treat you right, let us know because we want to treat you right. We're glad you're here. But, but at 11 o'clock, we have company coming more, more than likely. Why? Because you've got to milk the cows, slot the hogs, collect the eggs, and get in a horse-drawn carriage. Let me try to say that again. Horse-drawn carriage or cart or whatever and get to church, and it takes till 11 o'clock to do that. So in the traditional South, we meet at 11 o'clock. Do you know you can meet on a Thursday at 2 in the afternoon if you want? You can meet on a Tuesday, a Monday, a Paul said, don't judge a man according to the day he picks, but if you're a believer, you better pick a day and worship God, dedicate that day to God. You following me? And, and it's hard for us to see ourselves in our culture because the last thing a fish ever thinks about is water because he was born in it, he lives in it, he eats in it, he breathes in it. He doesn't, even think, he doesn't realize there's anything else unless a fisherman catches him, pulls him out, and he goes, what is this? Hope if, the, if the fisherman throws him back, he goes, I don't know what that was. That was weird. And he goes, tells his friend, do you know some alien pulled me out of here and I went to another world? And they go, no, you're crazy. I'm telling you, there's another world exists. It's a spiritual world where God dwells and that's where we are supposed to be dwelling. And the things of earth, as the hymn writer said, as I meant to say earlier, grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And when we see him, all of a sudden all this goes, that's not a big deal. You know what COVID did for us? I'll tell you what COVID did for us. It told us what wasn't important. I mean, in the early days when we couldn't, technically we could have, but we didn't come in here, I'd ride by going, man, we spent a lot of money on a building we can't use. But culturally, that's how we do it. There are many places in the world, in some of the United States, where they don't, they don't have a building like this. They just meet in a home or homes or find an empty spot in a big old field somewhere, because that's all they got. And so they go, man, y'all got a building? That's wonderful. You got nice padded pews? We're sitting on logs or rocks. See, this isn't church. This is a building that fits our culture. You following me? I didn't mean to go off on this tangent, but for whatever reason, felt led to go there. So it's not a particular place. It's not a particular time. 
it requires the Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the moment of salvation. You've you got to understand that. Romans 8. If you don't have the Spirit of God, you're not saved, according to Romans 8. And, and maybe we'll go through Romans. I understand that's uh, the curriculum, uh, or some people are going through that now, but we may follow that up and do it again anyway. And so it is, it is a relationship. It is a spiritual relationship with Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 18, it, it, is, it is all about relationship. And I hope I didn't miswrite that because that doesn't sound right, but I'm going to read it and see. Yes, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. We have a relationship with the Father and through the Holy Spirit. When we worship in spirit, it means the Holy Spirit aids us in our worship. Because I don't have anything I can bring to the table. Everything I have, even when I worship God, is because God puts worship in me to give back to Him. When I give money, it's not my money, it's His money. He enabled me to earn, and I'm just acknowledging His grace when I give it back uh, in, in tithes and offerings to God's work. When, when I breathe air, I'm not breathing air. God's allowed my body to function so I can breathe air. I know that because my son couldn't breathe when he was first born. And God used medicine to make him where he was able to breathe. They intubated him, and he was okay within seven days, and that was a grace of God. But breath is a gift from God. And in the next moment, mine may cut off. And so we worship him in spirit, and we understand that all that we have and all that we are came from him to us. Every good and every perfect gift, James 1, is from above, from the Father of light, in whom there's no variableness nor even shifting shadow. He is the Father of light, and he gives us all things. And so we worship him in spirit and in truth, in discernment in the spiritual realm. Now, I already quoted that, 1 Corinthians 2.14. These are spiritually discerned. But it also requires truth. Not only worship in the spirit, but in truth. The scripture is the source of truth. Any man can stand up and say, let me tell you the truth, but he may be lying. And we have to, we have, to have an objective standard by which to measure that. Even the writing of the Bible had an objective standard to know whether the prophet was right or not. Because if he said something and it didn't come true, they killed him because he was lying. Let's try that today. <laughs> Let's sign up for that one. I hear about a prophetic word. Well, if your prophetic word agrees with the Bible, we don't need it. And if it doesn't agree with the Bible, it's heresy. And it's wrong. This is God's truth. We worship God in this truth. We talked about that in an entire sermon, so I won't belabor that point. But also, our prayers are based on God's word. Second. Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20, and the Holy Spirit helps us when we don't even know how to pray. Now, let me carefully help you understand that, because some people say, see, that's why we do other things, because the Spirit helps us to say it. No, it doesn't say that. It says, when we pray, the Spirit takes our prayers and interprets them into what they ought to have been to God. Now, we make a big deal about how we should pray, but that's for our understanding. When I pray to God and I'm crying out to Him, He's looking at my heart, not listening to my words. He knows what I need, and he knows, just like a child crying out for ice cream when he needs some green beans, and we go, sorry, no ice cream today, you got to eat your green beans first. Why? Because we're smarter than that kid. God is smarter than us. Instead of trying to figure it out, we ought to ask the one who's already figured it out. And then do what he says, because he, he loves us more than we love ourselves. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He can give us what we need. Why don't we just trust him and take what he needs and then do what he said? And so we worship him in spirit because that's the life in it and in truth because that keeps us from error. 
you can compare that to any body, but the human body will say, the bones are the truth. But the bones got to have life on them for them to work, right? You can know the truth and you'll be dull and boring. You can have the spirit, but you're going to be like a boneless chicken, just all flopping around, right? I know you debone it after you kill it, but anyway. You get the point. If it's all spirit, that can become heretical and can become emotional. If it's all truth, it's like, oh. It's because God didn't call us to death. He called us to life, right? And so, but he called us to a life and a structure, and the structure is in the scripture. And as we find that and follow that, we are worshiping God in the way he said. Now, I said God desires worship, and I want to help you understand that. God's desire is a two-way communication, and I need to be careful. I, I said it that way, and I'm going to leave it that way. But I want to carefully explain that, because there's a lot out there today about listening or hearing God speak. And again, I go back to the sermon I preached on this, but I'll say it again. It is real easy to know when God's speaking. Okay? Now, does God give, you open your Bible. Now, does God give impressions and lead? Yeah, sure. But we're, but we're going so far in the direction of, oh, I, I just got to hear God. Well, open your Bible. You'll hear from God. The Holy Spirit illuminates to us the truth of the Scripture. We can't understand the Scripture apart from the Spirit. That's why I have to worship Him in Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us understand. I, I can try to explain, help you get there, but I can't give you understanding. Only the Holy Spirit can do that because there's one truth, but there's a million applications of that truth. And God may apply the same truth in your life and my life in two different ways, but it's the same truth. Does that make sense? And so... You have to understand that part. And so God speaks to us through his word. I just wanted to make sure you carefully understood that, that when you pray, God interprets that word. And God speaks to us through his word. And John 5, 39 and Luke 24, 27 says that. I'll read to you John 5, 39. I should have marked these. Sorry, I did not. You can talk amongst yourselves while I find it. Mark, I mean, sorry, John 5, 39. It says this. And you, do not, and you do not have his, I'm sorry, verse 38, Jesus is saying, you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. He's talking there uh, about uh, uh, the people that, that do not follow him. And then verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. And Jesus tells us right there, this is where you find out the truth about who Jesus is, is in the scripture. Thank you. By the way, if you're online, if you hit like or whatever buttons are at the bottom, except the negative ones, that's like an electronic amen. So just go ahead and do that if you want to. If you're online with us, especially on Facebook, you can do that. And so God is saying to us that his word is the basis and that we have to have the word to know who it is we're worshiping. Then secondly, God desires exaltation. In Psalm 46.10, and I really want you to hear this verse be still and know that i am god i will be exalted among the nations i will be exalted in the earth god is declaring that he will be exalted and he and, and he may have let man get by with some stuff but there's coming a day when he is going to be revealed as he is and when he does that to human flesh they died you can read about that in the book of revelation when he comes flying down here in the second coming and the sword of the Spirit is coming out of his mouth, that double 
edged sharp sword, literally it's going to kill people. And the blood of the nations will, will flow in the valley of Megiddo, a horse bridles deep and fill that valley. Yeah, we serve a loving God, but we serve an awful God. He is awesome in his ways. He is holy in his character. He is all-powerful in his being. And we get to call him Daddy. We get to call him Father. But don't let that make you not realize what an amazing God he is. And he desires exaltation. That's what he wants from my people called by my name. And God does not share. So, pray God's word back to him. That, this is just a simple way to do that. So I want you to look with me in Psalm 8. And as you're turning there, I'm going to tell you what I'm talking about. As you're reading the scriptures, you, you ought to have a notebook. I just encourage you to get a notebook, write it down. As you're reading scripture, just ask yourself a couple questions. And, and things like this. What, what kind of God would say this? You know, when God says, I will be exalted in the nations, well, an all-powerful God would say that. You know, Satan tried to say that, and he got thrown down by the all-powerful one. We saw that last week in Isaiah. What kind of God would do this? What kind of God would judge the nations? One that has the right to judge the nations, right? What kind of God would give grace, a God full of grace and glory and love for his people? What kind of God would show mercy on a sinner, a God who has love and has paid the price for that sinner? And so you begin to write that down, and then you go back and say, God, thank you, you're powerful. Thank you, you, you have authority. Thank you that you have mercy and grace, and that's who you are, and that's what you've given to me. So I want you to just look in Psalm 8, and I'm going to model that for you. I'm just going to say it. I'm not going to actually pray it. But there in verse 1, it says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. Now remember, I told you if it's in all capital letters, it's his name. So maybe this will help the Bible make sense to you, especially the first phrase in chapter 8, verse 1 of Psalm. And it is this, O Yahweh, our Lord. You see, God told us his name and then said, and I should be your Lord. I should be the master of your life. That's what that word means, right? Lord means master of the estate. Master, he is master of the universe. And so we say, Yahweh, you're, the, you're our master. We follow you, we obey you, we come to you in that way. And so you just write that down. Yahweh is my God, and he is my Lord. And then it says, uh, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And so I could say, your name is majestic. Wherever the sun touches the earth, you're majestic. You can't get out of his presence. Everywhere you go, he is there, and he is the God who is. Your glory is above the highest exalted thing, heaven. You've set your glory above the heavens. Now, understand, the Bible speaks of three heavens. Heaven number one is the atmosphere in which we live. Heaven number two is the universe beyond our atmosphere. And heaven number three is where God is. And he says, your name is exalted above all of creation. It dwells in the heaven of God, but it's even above that because Guess what? The heaven where God dwells is a created place because he's going to destroy it one day and make it new. That's the God we serve. And that's who we worship. 
Now I can go on. I, I think we had that much put up there for you. But chat, uh, verse 2. You gain glory even out of babies. Out of the mouth of babies and in infants. You've established strength because of your foes. You know I don't care when a baby cries in auditorium. Because he's just doing what God made him to do. When the rooster crows, he's just doing what God made him to do. When the dog barks, he's just doing what God made him to do. But we grow up and think we know better than God, and we start disobeying him. Right? And so God, even out of the mouth of babies, he gets glory. And he stills the enemy through a weaker vessel to still the enemy and the avenger. Man... When you're, when you're recruiting people to fight on your side, you get the biggest and the baddest you can find, right? Well, so God got babies and infants. Why? Then we go, oh, you didn't really need me. You're just using me, so thank you. In 2 Corinthians 1, he chose the foolish things, the weak things of this world. Why? So we can't take credit for it. And what God does, he does through us. It, he doesn't do it because of us. And so when we pray to him, we say, Lord, I get it. I'm your creation, and you work through me, and you give me grace and power to, to accomplish what you give us to do. Verse 3 here, all creation, you create, when I look at the heaven, your works of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place. What does the psalmist say there, when I do what? Some, what did he do? He looked. What does it take to look? Thank you, God, for you created my eyes that I could see. Fanny Crosby was a, a lady who did not have physical sight. She wrote many hymns, and in those hymns, she would write about seeing God. Because loss of sight is not a physical thing, it's a spiritual thing. And I'm not saying that people that don't have physical sight are not spiritual. What I'm saying is that true sight, biblically, is when you can behold God in His glory. And you may be able to see, have 20-20 vision on earth and not see God. And you may not be able to see anything on earth and know God. And your sight would be great. When I look at your heavens, when I behold that, yet you're, you, you rem, look at that. The, look at uh, verse 4. What is man? You're mindful of him. I mean, I, I, I really am interested in what is out there in space. Not so much that I look at it every day, but it just does interest me. I'm that age. The people that, uh, I was born in 59, and my first 10 years of my life, we were just trying to get to the moon, and that culminated when I was 10. So I named my dog Armstrong. I did. I had a dog named Armstrong. Why? Because he was the first guy to walk on the moon, in case you don't know that, young people. So my generation, man, that's just like the coolest thing, and I'm... I'm still there. And so you look out there and you see this expanse and we've learned so much since then and it's unreal. And God sees me. Wow. Can you pray about that? Can you thank God for that? Can you worship him? God, who am I that you would even see me? But yet you do. You come and dwell in this vessel because you brought salvation through Christ and the Holy Spirit lives in me. And I worship you in that spirit and I worship you in the truth of your word. You see how you can just pray God's word back to him and thank him for it. You can do that on any page of scripture. Psalms are the easiest, so that's why we start there. It's the easiest place to see it. So what are you going to do this week? I don't know, but here's some suggestions. First of all, are you 
his. If my people call by my name, do you belong to him? If you have to say no, it's real easy to come to God because it's a work he does in you. You just have to say yes to him. You have to say, God, I want to belong to you. I want you to take away my sin and live in my life. Because that desire is from God anyway. We learned that in Ephesians 2, right? That desire comes from God. And if God's put that desire in your heart, then you don't have to wonder about it because the lost man does not desire God or the things of God. He says there's no one seeks after God, not even one that wants to find God, except the one that God puts in their heart to seek him. Ecclesiastes does say God puts eternity in our hearts. We know there's something out there. That's why the atheist fights so hard, because in his heart he knows there is something beyond this life. But he doesn't want it to be the God of the Bible, because he doesn't like the God of the Bible. He's at war with the God of the Bible. And sometimes as Christians we see that and we go, God, wow. You don't fit what I think you ought to look like. That's called idolatry. When you want God to fit what you think he ought to look like. We have to come to the Bible and say, no, this is the God we serve. And he is perfect in his ways and he does not sin. So the problem here is not him, it's me. I don't quite understand it yet. But the question is, are you his? Are you his? Do you belong to him? If you have not bowed the knee before the creator God and said, you are master and Lord and I acknowledge you as that, and I want you to take away my sin and live in my life, then do it right now. Do it today. Do it in this moment. Secondly, this week, worship God at home, at work, and play. You don't have to come here to worship God. The song service is not the worship time. The whole service is the worship time. As you're walking in, it's the worship time. You see, according to the rules of our commonwealth, we have the right to be here. We have, we call this a religious ritual. We, we looked at that. They made these new rules for COVID and said, when you're doing a religious ritual, this is all you have to do. They didn't even mention masks. They just got to stay six feet apart. We can't give you, you know, food or anything like that. And there's, you know, just stay six feet apart. That's about it. Well, guess what? For us is a religious ritual, getting in the car and coming here. Because the Bible tells us, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. So when you drive up here, you're worshiping God. When you get out of your car and walk in the building, you're worshiping God. Because you're coming in with the intention to worship a holy creator God with God's people. Are you following me? You get one? Okay, good. Hope you're picking up what I'm laying down here. So you don't have to come here to do that. Because you can worship God at your home. You can worship God at work and play. Say, so, well, why should I come here? Number one, because God commanded. Number two, because it helps us. Y'all help me just being here. I thank you for being here. I need you to be here. This is wonderful for me. But God told us to do this. And so worship him by doing this. But worship him at home in the scripture. You can sing. We, we, we supplied hymn books you can take home. And you say, I don't sing good. That's okay, you're at home. You're going to annoy fewer people doing it at home than you do here. I heard somebody singing behind me. And I thought, they need to be in the choir. I turned around. It was Miss Bishop. She's already in the choir. I was like, oh, okay, I don't have to tell her. Wow, it sounded so good. Worship God at home, at work, and at play. And then thirdly, practice worshiping God using the Psalms, as I was showing you. Just, if you just do one this week, but, but try to do at least five. Maybe pick whatever date it is. Today's the 19th. Use the 19th Psalm. No, today's the 20th. Use the 20th Psalm. Or do, just do something 
But take the Psalms and just try to write down a few things about who God is. And if that makes sense to you, if you're able to do that, you might want to keep doing that. It can become a very helpful and useful habit to you. Listen, God is great. God is good. And he wants his people to worship him in spirit and in truth. And that's the first step in effective praying, is worshiping God. Let's pray right now. Indeed, Father, we worship you today. You are the creator God, and when we say that, we, we need to keep in, I need to keep in my mind that there was nothing but you. There was no universe. There were no stars. There were no planets with an atmosphere like ours. There, there was, there may not even be space at all. I, I don't even, we don't even know. We, we can't even comprehend. There was just nothing except you and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons and you spoke and the universe was here god what an amazing awful god you are and you made the rules for how we live and then when we broke all those rules you put on flesh and dwelt among us that we could behold the glory of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth and in seeing jesus you bring us to yourself because he died on a cross he who knew no sin became sin for my sake and our sake, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And in bowing our knee before Jesus as Lord, he becomes our Savior. And the Spirit lives with us, Father. We thank you for that. And in power of the Holy Spirit, we come together and we worship you and we honor you and we praise you. Lord, we need to hear from you from your word. We need to know what your will is for us. So we thank you for Romans 12, 1 and 2, where you said, I beseech you, my beloved brethren, by the mercy of God, present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service of worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might be able to prove what the good and perfect and excellent will of God is. So Lord, we can know your will through your word and through our relationship with you. We thank you for that. And so, Lord, today, as we worship this great creator, God, I pray for people that don't know you. They don't even know what they're missing. Lord God, put in their heart the grace to know you. And may they exercise that grace, that faith, to receive you into their life, to, to bow their knee before you and to submit themselves, surrender themselves to a holy God. And, Lord, today, may they know the joy of knowing Jesus. We pray this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us online. Thank you all for coming in here today.